It's uh, my pleasure to be able to introduce to you today our guest speaker, Ron Poitras. I've known Ron and his family now for about 25 years. Uh, we spent about 18 of those years serving together um, at a church in Londonderry, uh, serving and worshiping. And um, I can tell you a few things about Ron and that um, he loves the Lord, he loves to serve the Lord, and he loves to serve others. So having said that, Ron, come up and share with us this morning what God has laid upon your heart. All right, good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here. Um, actually, uh, I'm here with my wife, Candy, and we were here in 1990. 1990, I know it's hard to believe because I, I'm so youthful looking. Um, but 1990, roughly, about that time frame, we were here, we were part of Manchester Baptist Church, and we came here for a cantata. It was, I can't remember if it was, I think it was an Easter cantata that we did here. Uh, and and the, this room has changed somewhat. Um, and uh, and I, I remember we used the window of the baptismal, maybe not this one, uh, for where Jesus hung on a cross and, and somebody was uh, playing Jesus, if you will. Uh, and so that was one of the last times. I think one other time I came, and, uh, and it was for a convention uh, meeting that we had here, part of the Southern Baptist. And, uh, and I think, uh, and so it was a group of pastors that had met here, and uh, your church had hosted uh, that group at that time. So, um, so I, I am familiar with your church, although it looks a lot different than I remember, um, assuming that I could remember that far ago, that long ago. So um, I'm here this morning, uh, a member of Calvary Bible Church out of Derry and serving in that community and just glad to come over here. I served there uh, as an executive pastor for three and a half years and I, I am actually leading the men's ministry right now at that church and obviously filling the pulpit wherever needed uh, in churches, uh, wherever that is. Uh, and also uh, I am a trustee at uh, Northeastern Baptist College in Bennington, Vermont. Some of you may be familiar with that. Uh, and uh, been involved with uh, President Mark Ballard uh, for a long time. As Jeff had mentioned, we had served in the same church together uh, where, uh, where Mark was the, uh, the pastor, the senior pastor there. So, so I have, uh, have some history with some folks that you're affiliated with as well. And there's a great work and a great need in New England. Would you agree that there's a great need? There is a great need uh, in New England. Well, this morning uh, for the message, I thought I'd convey to you a, uh, just a story, a, a quick story. You'll get to know me a little bit um, since you have no real baseline, right? We really don't know one another. But when I was young, when I was young, I used to play hockey, right? As a hockey player, and I played a lot of hockey. I mean... Down the street from my house, we had a rink. Uh, it was an outdoor rink, and it was at the park, and, and everybody would get together and go play hockey at that rink. And, and you know, it, it, I want to say my, my family was a hockey family. It was a hockey family. Uh, and, and you're saying, well, okay, yeah, your family, uh, you guys got into hockey. Yeah, my brother played hockey. He played high school hockey. Uh, he played uh, after he got out of high school. He went to the Navy. He came back. We used to play. Uh, and then... Um, not only that, but my cousins and my uncles played hockey. And so on a weekend in the winter, it would not be uncommon to find us 
out on a rink somewhere, whether it's a pond or another park in, in the area, and we'd all be playing. We'd be playing hockey, and we just loved hockey so much. You know, we're, we're, we're all French uh, from Canada, you know, and so uh, we just loved the game, and, and so we, we played, and it meant a lot to our family. It was something that we all got around and, and got together uh, to do. A lot of fun. When, when I went into my, my freshman year, coming out of peewee leagues, junior league, if you will, Going into uh, freshman into high school, I said, well, I'm going to try out for JV, you know, and go, and, and uh, we had tryouts going on. So I went to the tryouts, and, and, and you know, I said we had like a hockey family. My, my cousin Bob was a center uh, when we used to play on the team, and my, my other cousin, Steve, he was a right wing, and I was playing left wing. We were on the first line. We were the line. So here comes tryouts for JV. So I got all my gear together, jumped in the car with my cousins. My uncle was driving. My uncle was a coach. He was my coach for years. And we all jumped in the car, and we headed off to the rink, and we went, and we had tryouts. You know, tryouts, when you're trying out for a team, it's, it's sort of like if you watch football tryouts, right? What they're doing, you're doing sprints, and you're going back and forth, and all sorts of exercises, puck handling, shooting, and all these kinds of things. So went through that, and, and, and went through that, that whole, I think it was a two-hour tryout, right? And got in the locker room, and I'm sitting down, and, you know, we're all in there. All, all the guys are in there. And the coach comes in, and, and he says, okay, here's the names. And he starts rattling off names. He starts reading these names off, and he read my cousin Bob. Uh, he said, you know, Bob, you know, and, and then he kept going down, down the list, and he, he named a couple other names of other guys that I played with in Pee Wee and whatnot. We came up through the hockey, hockey ranks and whatnot. Well, Coach, coach goes, and then he says, okay, that's a wrap. And I sat there, and if I could have said, um, I, I think you, you forgot a name. But honestly, I was too shocked. I couldn't believe, you know, there must have been a mistake. There must have been a mistake. Wow. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you could relate to that story. Maybe there's something in your life you wanted to do, something you wanted to take part in. You thought you were going. You thought it was, it was the next job. It was the next position. Uh, it, it was the next person that maybe you were going to get married to. It was, it was the next house you were going to buy. Whatever it was that you, that you were going to do, maybe it was something like that. Or maybe it was like my, my coworker. I remember my coworker telling me this story. He said, well, he said, uh, I, I, I worked at this company, and, and it's up north. I'm familiar with the company. He said, you know, I worked for this company, and I was working really hard, and, and I really wanted to, you know, get this position. I, I was just try, trying so hard for it. And then my boss came up to me, and he said, he said look, we, we want to meet with you tomorrow. We're going to meet with you. And, and, uh, and he was like, oh, my goodness. This is it. This is it. He went home that night, he went out, he bought a suit, he got this brand new suit, he got, all, he got all dressed up, he went into work the next day, they called him into the office and they said, you're fired. You're fired. Whew. What happened? What happened? Maybe you can relate to some of those stories. Well, Jesus had a discussion with his disciples. He has a response really for us 
and he's going to say something maybe just as startling to the disciples that maybe some of them aren't prepared to hear. Of course, Jesus had just finished in Matthew talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He pronounces the seven woes, if you ever heard of those, woe to them, woe to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he just finished telling them about the woes. Then, then he takes and he walks with his disciples and he's walking where the temple is and the disciples are pointing out, look at these magnificent buildings. And they're, they're pointing out these buildings, right? And Jesus says, well, not, not one stone will be left on top of another. Wow. These statements that Jesus is making are, 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 are much, much different for the disciples to hear from them. What do you... You know, in my own mind's eye, I would say, what, what, what are you talking about? Look at the temple. So Jesus, he walks with them to the Mount of Olives. And, and he walks there, and the disciples say to him, look at Jesus, would you tell us, tell us, what, what is the sign of the end of the age? What's the sign of your coming what is that sign? So Jesus answers that question in a number of ways, but basically the same answer. So this morning, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew 25, verse 1, and we're just going to read 13 verses here. Now, mind you, the, the disciples are, are baited and they're waiting for Jesus to tell them. And, and Jesus says some things that are preemptive here in the, in the 24th chapter. But here in the 25th chapter, he says to him in verse 1 of cha chapter 25 again of Matthew, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Oh, this is, this is interesting. We'll talk to, more about this here in, in, in a few moments. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since it will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to meet, went, went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, now remember, Jesus is speaking to disciples. These guys have been with him. They've been walking with him. They've seen all the miracles. They see what's going on. 
And here is, as they're coming to him and they're, they're asking him for an answer, the, the difficulty of them to grasp with that, what he's really saying to them is there because, you know, they're a ragtag team. They're not really that cohesive. If, if you go over to Matthew 28, just at the end of Matthew, where, where the text tells us, right, we're given an account of the fact that some doubted. Some doubted, as, as Jesus was saying, go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching, teaching them. Disciples really resemble many of us, if we're honest with ourselves. So this morning, I've got a little bit different, I was tell, telling Jeff this morning, I've got a little bit different way of, of presenting this message and messages I've done in the past. I have seven statements of truth that I want to go through with you from this text. And we're going to look at each verse as we go through these, and, and, and I, I, I want you to understand what really Jesus is saying, what it meant to the disciples in the day. This is how we, we understand the Word of God. What did it mean to those who were hearing it in that day? And oh, by the way, what does it mean for us in our current day? In verse 1 it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Jesus introduces this parable in a way that he doesn't introduce any of the Olivet Discourse. It's a different way. He's saying, look, at this, then this is what it's going to be like. The first truth here that we have is that Jesus depicts everyday life in light of a future day for these disciples. He's pointing them to what's going to happen. What's going to happen in the future? So Jesus introduces the parable in a way that he doesn't anywhere else, and he's portraying it in, in his verbiage is in such a way that he's getting them to understand what it means. When he talks about the bridegroom, he talks about the bridegroom we find in Isaiah. The Old Testament portrays Yahweh, the Lord, as a husband to Israel. In Isaiah 54, verse 4 through 6, it says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, this is Isaiah, and, and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. The Lord God of, of the whole earth he is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. So they understand that, that if, in Judaism, they understand when he's putting together things such as bridegroom and, and this, these kinds of words that it really means something. And it would mean something for us today as we hear things in, in, our, in our native lingo, if you will, in, in the verbs and the things that we say nowadays. We would understand it because it's relating to our current state. And here in, in light of this, this day he's talking about, he's comparing and contrasting. The second thing he's saying when he uses bridegroom, they're all familiar with what that, that means. Well, what does that mean? Because Jesus is using an actual event. This is very, very um, common in, the, in, the, in this context. A Palestinian wedding, a Hebrew wedding, would, would, would have a bridegroom. So, so th this, is, this is ringing in their ears of, of what he's calibrating them into what he's going to say. 
and he's going to bring them through it. You know, what, what commonly would happen is that the, the bridegroom would take, and, and there, are, there are different variations of this in the Middle East, of, of the marriage ceremony, if you will. But what would happen is the, the bridegroom would go to the bride's house, the father of the bride, and go there and get the bride and, and exchange nuptials. Then the bridegroom would take the bride, and they would go back, and they'd walk through all the city and go back to his father's house, typically. Because in those days, what happened is they would build a, a home onto their father's house. Uh, John chapter 4, uh, I should say, yeah, John chapter 14, where Jesus talks about, I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I go, I will come again. And in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Again, he uses the imagery of a wedding in that text as well, and he uses it here so that he could convey to his disciples really what he's talking about. I want you to notice the text says here, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. He is not talking about sexual purity here. He is talking about a relationship to the bride. He's bringing that together for us today so that we could see and understand it for them so that they could understand in the context of what they were hearing, what Jesus was trying to say. The second truth I want you to know here is that meeting the bridegroom is the hope of all the virgins. All of them have an intent of meeting the bridegroom. They expect they're going to meet the bridegroom. There's an expectation on their part. It says it right there. They all took their lamps. They all took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. In verse 2, it says, Five of them were foolish. Jesus telling this parable. Five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. Friends, not everyone will be prepared for the bridegroom. This is what Jesus is saying. Not everyone will be prepared. And Jesus often uses contrasting groups or things. The wide and the narrow gate. The sheep and the goats. Right? We see that happening again and again. The wheat and the tares is another one that we see Jesus using. So when we talk about the, the wise, the, when, when you look at the context of what Jesus was talking about, he's talking about wise. They have, they have this intellectual ability to understand, and, and they're putting that together and understanding that, that they have to be prepared for the bridegroom, and they know that. Matter of fact, everything that they do, they're in, it's in preparation for the bridegroom's coming. He's going to come. You realize here in the text that for the ten virgins, they're the same, except for one thing. One thing. Which makes them either wise or foolish. I want to tell you this morning, just share with you that, you know, if you've come to Jesus Christ, you're changed. You don't have to be a fool. You could be wise. You could, you could take God's word and you could inculcate that word and live it out through your life and, and, and you, could, you could share Christ and, and you could fulfill in every way that he calls us to be in this day in which we live. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
Do you realize when we, when we are saved, we are changed? We are changed. We are no longer that old person. You know, you know I, when, when I came to Christ, I walked into a church unexpectedly with my girlfriend, and I walked into that church, and, 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 and I ended up saying a prayer and, and, and receiving Christ into my life at that time, and I said, I said yes, I, I accept your forgiveness, Lord. I prayed it right there. I prayed it in the front of the church. 1985, June, I said that prayer. A couple weeks later, I'd find myself sitting on the edge of the bed in our bedroom. Here I am living with my girlfriend. And I have the Word of God in my hands. And I said, I think I'm going to do this. You see, I, I, I said a prayer two weeks earlier. But that night I was saying, this changes everything in our life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow Jesus. My girlfriend was like, what? What are you talking about? Where does it say you have to be born again? Well, truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again. And I pointed it out to her right here. She rolled over and went to bed. A few weeks later, She accepted Jesus Christ. We've been married 37 years since that time. Jesus changes your life. You can't go back to the old world. You can't go back. Because when you accept Christ, you're changed. Something changes. Everything changes. Your world changes. came to save us. You know what that means? To snatch us from the fire. That's what he came for. He wants to do that with us, and he wants to do that with those that we know, our oikos, our extended family, he wants to do that with. Let me move along here. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. The issue here is not that they slept the bridegroom, he may be delayed in his arrival. That's true. But being drowsy and slept, we all sleep. Matter of fact, we all get drowsy. Matter of fact, the disciples fall asleep on Jesus while he's praying in the garden. We know that. The issue is oil. The issue is oil. Did the virgins, the, bri the virgins have the oil they needed the delay is, is a main part of this text. You, you will find that, that in the scriptures we see here that, that Jesus depicts the coming, the second coming, the parousia, as, as, as the time that comes early. You'll also find that it comes late, like here, it's delayed. You'll also find that it's unexpected. We don't know when. We don't know when. And this is the reason why we need to be prepared. Jesus said many times, you do not know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. Being ready conveys a faithful commitment on our part as Christians. It's important in our day. 
Look at when I look around there. There are there are winds that are occurring. There there are people coming to know Christ, and, and yes, I, I get that. But the, the wickedness in our day is very evil and very prevalent in our day. The truth has now become a lie in many circles, many places. And so we must be prepared. We must be prepared. Verse six. But at midnight there was a cry, and, and here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. And then all those virgins rose, and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, "Look, okay, give us some of your oil for our lamps, because it's going to run out." And, and the wise answered, saying, since there is not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers. And look, at, it wasn't uncommon in, in, this, in this day that there might be dealers where, where they could go and they could get oil so that they'd have oil for their lamps. But friends, that when that cry, that shout, reminiscent of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul talks about in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the trumpet blast, we're not all going to sleep. We'll be changed. And, and we know that. We'll be raised from imperishable. We'll be raised from the dead, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we'll be changed. Or in First Thessalonians to the church at Thessalonica, Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry or a shout of command, with a voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so will always be with the Lord. Encourage one another with these words as we know that text. But here's the point I want to make here. The fifth truth, if you will. Personal responsibility for preparedness is required. Your father, your mother will not get you into heaven in that sense. We will all stand before the Lord. We will all give an account before the Lord. I, I can't rely on my aunt who loves Jesus. Now, she shared Christ with me. I ultimately accept, but, but I'm not going to get into heaven based on the fact that her faith, it's my faith, it's my faith is how I will get into heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. And while we were going to buy, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. See, friends, the fact is, is that everybody that's invited, everybody that's invited doesn't get to go. Not everybody goes, and this is clear in the text, and this is clear over and over again in the scripture, that not everybody enters into the kingdom of God for one reason or another, and the reason that we find here is because they're not prepared. They haven't prepared. They have no oil in their lamp. You guys must be familiar with that song, right? Oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Oil in my lamp. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, 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 burning till the break of day. And friends, the oil here does represent preparedness and discipleship. And this, this is the key thought from this text that Jesus is trying to convey is that we don't get lulled into the world and, and so in love with the world. I can remember one point in my walk with the Lord, I was saying, I don't want him to come back. I'm just enjoying myself too much. I just, I just love my life. What a fool. The things of this world will not go. We will render account for our lives. And that means we're investors 
in the kingdom work. In the kingdom work. Everyone's invited, but everyone doesn't get to go. The issue is not when he's coming. The issue is, will I be ready? That is the issue. The seventh statement of truth. Our discipline, our attitude, and our lifestyle indicate our readiness. It's apparent. It's apparent if we're ready or not. See, afterward, the the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. Open up to us. This parable really moves into the reality that, that it's supposed to portray is that not everybody gets to go to heaven because the fact is that the door is closed, and when the door is closed, it is shut. It is closed tight. There's no second chances. There's no going back. This is reminiscent of chapter 7 of Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ouch. Ouch, that hurts. You think about it. The language points to a final judgment. I don't know if you're pre-trib. I don't know if you're mid-trib. I don't know if you're post-trib. I, I really, it, it really doesn't bother me which one you are. All I know is, is that I am going to go home when the trumpet sounds. That's what I know. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I've got to make sure that my house is in order and that I'm doing what God wants me to do. You see, you understand? You, you see, there, there are people, I can remember um, uh, my dad. I visited my dad, and, and uh, he lived in western Massachusetts. I visited and spent some time with him. Uh, we went out to eat. We had, we had a great time. Uh, we went shopping a little bit, and, and my dad was always into gadgets, and he liked to do all this kind of stuff. We went back to his place, and, 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 uh, and we talked a little bit, and then he used to take these power naps, and he laid on the floor. He took a power nap, and then he got up, and, and, and we just spent more time together. It was a good visit, and, and at the end of the visit, he, he said to me, nah, he's not a very well-churched man, right? And, and he said to me, he said, he took my hand, and, and he shook my hand, and he put his other hand on my hand when he was shaking, and he, and he said, Ron, God bless you. God bless you. And I said, Dad, God bless you as well. You know, I didn't think any of, anything of it. Within hours, he was gone. Gone. He died. We don't know when the last breath is. That will take Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready for that midnight cry. Again, our attitude, our lifestyle indicate our readiness. The way we live, you know, in, 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 the, in the Greek, in the original language, in the context, you know, you know, when you look on, uh, at what the foolishness is that, that these virgins had, they're not wicked. They are wor- lukewarm. The foolish love the Lord and want to meet Him, but they take their preparations for granted. They make no preparations. Their hope does not influence their conduct. 
Listen to that. That's so key in our day. Their hope does not influence their conduct. This is the type of judgment that occurs, and it's not executed by the Lord. It's, it's really executed by the foolish. They've brought judgment unto themselves. They've excluded themselves. In verse 12 it says, But he answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Wow. That's the climax. We're, 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 we're to be ready, and here he says, I do not know you. He doesn't even know them. I can't imagine the pain of hearing that as a person who calls himself a disciple, a follower, a Christ follower. You see, when the midnight cry occurs, there's, there's no turning back, there's no second chance, there's no purgatory, there, there's no other way to redeem ourselves. The decision has been made, it's done, it, it, its finality is there. It's real. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, lukewarmness warmness is a way of saying, God, I believe in you, but you just don't excite me. Could I, could I share a little bit more of my hockey story with you, just a little bit more? In retrospect, I didn't deserve to be on the team. I didn't. That preceding summer before tryouts, I didn't work out. I didn't do the things. I didn't go skate. I didn't do any of those things that I should have done preparing to play on the hockey team. I did what I wanted to do. I was selfish, I was ignorant, I was prideful, and I was out of shape. The decision was really mine, and I disqualified myself by my own actions. They didn't even know my name that day. Didn't even know my name. There's something a lot more important than a hockey team playing JV. A lot more important here. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about souls. And we know the Lord is tarrying because he wants all to come to faith in him. And he's waiting, and that's the love of God. And God, God loves each one of us, each one of us here. And those around us, those in our workplace, those that are our neighbors, the person that cut you off in traffic on the way to church maybe, who knows, right? All of those. God loves, and he wants us. He wants us to go ahead and reach them for Christ. It says here, watch therefore, verse 13, for you know neither the day nor the hour. See, watching is not a passive activity in the context of this. It talks about, it's, a, it's really a metaphor for readiness, for being ready, for being ready for the master, for the bridegroom to come. And Jesus is addressing that today in this text. It's really about our heart attitude and are we prepared. And you think about all the, all the things, and, and my wife and I always comment on, this, uh, comment on this. Every time I preach, there's some kind of distraction, there's some kind of event, some kind of thing happens, and it becomes a, a distraction in the, in the midst of a time when I'm supposed to be delivering God's Word, and, and that's just the enemy trying to distract us from the mission that we have. And that's to go make disciples of all nations. Listen to what Jesus said. John 
12, 24 through 26, he said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, when the disciples in, in uh, one of the Gospels, and I can't, uh, can't remember which one it is, uh, they said, look, we haven't eaten. We haven't eaten in a long time. We really got to get something to eat. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of my Father. He was driven and committed to the mission. And that's what the Lord asks us to do today. The delay of the second coming is filled with the mission of the church. It's filled with the mission of the church. Richard Bruckman said that. And, and, and it's so true because we have an opportunity to share the gospel that, that none should be lost. I don't know where you are today. I, I don't know you personally. I, you know, I'm a regular guy, just like a lot of you guys. and You ladies out there and, and, and children are here, teenagers are here, and Jesus is calling, come. He's always inviting us. He's always inviting us. He didn't say, no, you don't come. No, no, you can't be saved. You're not worth it. He, he expresses the fact that he died on the cross for all of us. God so loved the world. Whosoever. Put your name in the whosoever. That's who Jesus came for. The whosoever. Important for us to know. Look at, again, I don't know what you're going through. You're going through battles. There's, there's things I said today that, that I felt compelled by, by, by the Lord to just say today that, that he was bringing it to mind. And, 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 and Lord, I, I, Lord knows I look around and, and, and see the things that are going on in our society and the things in our world and, and the struggles our churches are having and, and the challenges that are there in our lives, our own personal lives. And, and, and the Lord wants to come in. And sup with you. And to give you peace. That passes all the understanding. All other understanding. For you, maybe some of you. That are, maybe have backslid. And, and, and that's an old word long ago. Maybe our commitment isn't quite what it, what it should be or where it should be. So I want to encourage you this morning to say yes to the Lord. Or maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. You've been coming for a while. You're not sure that heaven's your home. I want to encourage you with that as well. And I would ask you this morning, just reach out to one of the deacons here. Or I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards and say, how do I do that? How do I know that heaven is my home? How do I accept Jesus Christ in my life? How do I change course in my life? I don't know what to do in my life. Look, there's so many things in, in the ministry which I'm leading, the men's ministry at my church. There's so many things that guys are going through and struggles and difficulties and, and, and nobody would have any clue. Only the Lord knows and, and sometimes they, they see it fit to share with me some of those things and the battles are immense. And you walk into church any day and you would think, oh, how you doing? Oh, yeah. Good, everything's great. And it's not really that great. Because the battle looms large. And I don't think any church is any different. I think every church is going through some battle. Families are going through battles, difficulties, marriages, children, whatever it is, it's happening. 
And the Lord wants to come in and give you peace. So would you pray with me right now? As we close our eyes, our heads are bowed. Just ask you this morning, as I pray this morning, you can speak to God. We have the ability to go before the Lord, the high priest. So Father, this morning I I pray for this congregation, I pray for this people, Father, that you would work in their hearts and in their minds, Father, this morning. That whatever it is that you are asking us to do, that our answer would be yes, yes, with courage, with no fear. And Father, if there's somebody here in our midst this morning that that doesn't know you personally, that they say yes to you, Father, that is the most important answer we can give you. Lord, we need to surrender and surrender all to you, Father. All to you, Father, we we should give. And Lord, help us to trust you, God. Father, there are bright lights in this world. There are distractions. There are things that knock us off course, Lord. But I pray that we're firmly rooted on your word, God. And, And Father, that we are ready. That we are ready whenever that day is, Lord. Whether it's in a few moments or several years or even hundreds of years, Lord. Father, we may, we may pass and we, we may go home before them, Lord. So, Father, I pray that we are ready no matter what. And we're about your mission here on earth. In Jesus' name.